Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, make sure you're subscribed because I'm splitting $10,000 across 10 lucky subscribe beautiful bastards this month. And let's just jump into it. Freedom of speech is a thing that allows me to say fuck Joe Biden or fuck Donald Trump and uh, you know, the SWAT team's not gonna bust down my door. A lot of people like to talk about freedom of speech when it deals with like bans and private companies, but at the end of the day, we're talking about the government not able to crack down on you because you said some shit. But the idea of freedom of speech in other countries can look very different. And I mention that because right now, people in the streets of the UK are having a very different experience. Like we talked about last week, Queen Elizabeth II died, and one of the big reactions we saw online were people kind of memeing the whole thing. Hell, you even had some political commentators like Hassan Piker throwing some GGs in the chat like he just clutched a game of Valorant when she died. Ooh, let's go! Get Queen. And while things like that have only really been a part of the, the court of public opinion, people loving it or hating it, we're seeing things right now, like in Scotland, a woman holding a sign that read abolish monarchy and fuck imperialism being arrested on Sunday for protesting outside the cathedral where the queen's body was at. And when you hear that, you'd go, okay, this would probably get laughed out of court in the US as basic freedom of speech. But in the UK, it's different. They actually recently passed a law to heavily curb the ability to protest and actually gave the police the ability to step in on quote, unjustifiably noisy protests that may have a significant impact on others, which led to this woman being charged with breaching the peace. With that, her arrest was decried by some locals at the time who yelled out, let her go, it's free speech, while others responded with, have some respect. You had organizations like the Free Speech Union outraged at her arrest, calling it intolerable. But at the same time, many disagreeing, saying, hey, her use of the word fuck was clearly meant to incite and disturb the peace. So those people argued that it was justified that she was arrested. Now, for me, I'll say, setting aside the fact that it's ridiculous that such a broad, open to interpretation law even exists, it also doesn't appear to hold up to scrutiny. Many more people have recently been arrested for protests with far less offensive language. Yesterday, you had a protester arrest outside Westminster Palace for holding a Not My King sign. While up in Edinburgh, a young man was charged with breaching the peace after yelling this to alleged pedo prince Andrew. But that being the most that he could get out before being dragged away from a parade barrier. In Oxford, author and activist Simon Hill was arrested for, you guessed it, breaching the peace. In his case, Hill shouted, who elected him after the proclamation declared Charles King was read out? With him clarifying that asking that question wasn't meant to disrespect the late queen, as many people felt otherwise about his outburst. But all of this has led to questions about how broad this law is. As apparently the barrier for arrest is if someone could be offended, in which case nearly any opinion would apply. And while people argue about this, we're likely gonna see even more protests and arrests for questioning the monarchy's legitimacy. And so with this, we're seeing a group called Republic, which calls for a Republican government planning to engage in protests during Charles's coronation, although they're trying to work with local authorities to avoid arrests. And here's the thing, I understand that all countries are different places with different rules, but not as an American, but as a human being, I think we need to understand that, that freedom of speech is not something that should be gifted by the government. This is something you should just have. Your words can, will, and should have consequences when you're dealing with other citizens and private companies and such, but as long as your words aren't in inciting violence or it's like yelling fire in a crowded movie theater where all of a sudden people could actually get hurt, the government shouldn't crack down on you. And so that's why regardless of what my actual opinion is, I feel inclined to say here, fuck King Charles and fuck the monarchy. We got leaked documents, people. We now know that Instagram is dying. Specifically here, I'm talking about reels. Turns out the Instagram model of copy and pasting another social platform on your own, not working for them this time. Because according to a now leaked internal document from Meta titled Creators and Reels State of the Union 2022, people just don't care about or use them. As far as the specifics, the leaked doc was internally published back in August and revealed that compared to the previous four weeks, Reels engagement had fallen by 13.6% and that quote, most Reels users have no engagement whatsoever. And it appears that there are a few reasons for this. It appears that short form content is more popular with younger people and those people prefer their competitors like TikTok. Also it appears another big reason is that Instagram is struggling to recruit creators with many not embracing Reels and this could be because creators don't feel incentivized to work with Reels, which they've tried to fix, right? Meta has set aside a $1 billion creator fund last year. They paid out nearly 100 
$120 million so far. However, you have a lot of creators like music creator Landon Purifoy saying, hey, homegrown content just doesn't do well despite Meta seemingly wanting it to flourish. Even testing this out by putting the same video on TikTok, YouTube Shorts, Snapchat, Spotlight, and Instagram Reels. And finding it got well over a million views on every platform except Reels where it bombed and barely broke 100K. And while that's anecdotal, I will say I've had a very similar experience. And so with those lower numbers, you have Purifoy saying, nobody's going to make original content for Instagram. It just doesn't make any sense. And as a matter of fact, some of Reels' most popular content is just recycled videos from other platforms. But technically not all bad news for Reels. The company has downplayed the leaked report. Spokespeople claiming that the data was outdated and didn't look at how the platform performed globally. And claiming that creators and businesses are seeing promising results and our monetization growth is faster than we expected as more people are watching, creating, and connecting through Reels than ever before. Regarding the claim that videos do worse on Instagram Reels than TikTok, you have some pushing back. With creators like Danny Love Pasta seeming to actually do better on Instagram Reels because there's different audiences that require different videos. But Either way, that report has seemingly had some negative effects for Meta as its stock had a pretty big dip this morning and erased some recent gains. But ultimately, as far as my opinion here, when it comes to shorts, there are really only two places that excite me, and that is TikTok and YouTube shorts. Both places offer insane upside to creators new and old alike. In those two places, you can just experience explosive growth that you can't see anywhere else. I mean, on TikTok just last week, I have videos. I got 3.3, 2.9, 2.6, 1.7, 3.1, 7.6 million. On YouTube, the the views are way more scattered, but we had a video that about Elon Musk that did like over five. 5 million views. And while monetization pretty much everywhere sucks for shorts, I think these two places are going to figure it out the best soon. And personally, I think that YouTube is going to figure out monetization around shorts first as far as a better situation. TikTok hopefully will then be forced to have something better than the creator fund. But all of that brings me to my two final points. One, if you are a creator or you want to be a creator, get on those two platforms ASAP and just start posting. Those places are your best shot for growth. And two, I will stand by my previous claim that I said, I think it was last week, TikTok will reign supreme as long as messy TikTok continues to exist. Which on that note, a lot of y'all love me sharing uh, one of the latest videos from my uh, messy TikTok group chat. So I figured we could experience the newest video in the group chat together. This video is for whoever keeps sending and showing my TikToks to my ex. Send him this one, send him this one. Curtis, ain't you 22 living with your 16 year old baby mama in her grandma house? Curtis. Uh, stealing your mama food stamp card? Oh, uh, Curtis. No car, no apartment, no nothing. You don't got shit. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how you got her pregnant when she was 13 years old. Curtis. But before that, you got your sister pregnant when she was 12. Curtis. But we, you're not gonna talk about that, huh? Huh? But I'm gonna talk about it. <laughs> but a stressful day. How is this app free? TikTok is the undefeated king of online messiness. I don't know who that lady is. I don't know Curtis. I don't know if anything she said is true. But TikTok has allowed the messiest and most complicated people in our friend groups to now just have bigger friend groups. Anyway, let's do a new poll. What platforms do you actively use? Let's say top two. The majority of account hacking nowadays happens via credential stuffing, where you use your usual email address and password on a website that wasn't maintained, it gets compromised, and now there's a chance that your username and password can end up on the deep web or hacker forums alongside thousands of other users' credentials, which is also why I'd like to talk about the partner and sponsor of today's show, NordVPN, or more directly, nordvpn.com slash phil. Or when hackers get your information, they can take over your username and password and attempt to get into other websites like Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and more. Like we've talked about in the past, if you use the same password for all these websites, they might succeed and get into more of your accounts. When you use NordVPN, they can alert you if this happens when you turn on dark web monitor. And you need to be sure to use a password manager like NordPass to generate strong, unique passwords and always have them at hand without actually having to remember them. So get protected and head on over to nordvpn.com to get a huge discount off a two-year plan plus 
four extra months free. That is an incredible deal. And remember, that's NordVPN.com slash Phil, and it's all risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Drugs are good for you. Sometimes. For today's show, not uh, sponsored by Purdue Pharmaceutical. Rather, what I'm talking about is how this new study found that patients who got intravenous ketamine treatments had significant improvement in symptoms of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. So let's look at the specifics. The study, which was published yesterday in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, draws from evaluations of 424 people with treatment-resistant depression, and they were treated with twice-a-week ketamine infusions at three clinics in Virginia. With researchers finding that within six weeks of beginning infusions, half of the patients responded to the treatment and 20% were symptom-free. But then the results got even better after 10 weeks, with seven out of 10 patients seeing improvement and two out of five patients in remission. And this study is significant compared to others because most previous research into the matter had stopped after six infusions. So as a result, with this new study, researchers could provide a more in-depth understanding of the long-term potential ketamine can have for treating people with severe depression. With that, you need to keep in mind the key words here, severe depression and medication-resistant depression. Because even though what we're seeing is very, very positive, experts say that ketamine should not be used as a first option for people who have depression or even suicidal ideations, as there are plenty of other effective options like antidepressants and therapy. But, also as the Washington Post notes, for those at imminent risk of harming themselves, a rapid effect can be life-saving, especially for cases where traditional treatments such as antidepressants and talk therapy have not worked or are slow to take effect. With him, for example, talking to one 52-year-old man named Jason Anthony who has been battling depression for 15 years and took part in the ketamine study. And Anthony's saying he tried this because he felt like he ran out of other options. Like this guy had been hospitalized for a seizure that was caused by medication he was taking for depression. And while anecdotal, he said he had relief after just four ketamine treatments and he didn't have any adverse side effects that he experienced while using other medications. And saying it's hard to quantify the level of relief, but I don't know that I'd be here. And I will say, while it's once again still anecdotal, the people that I know that have tested this, they've had very positive results. But even with that, experts have noted some shortfalls. For example, with this study specifically, it was not a blind study with a control group, and the researchers themselves also noted they did not have a system to track side effects or adverse events like drug abuse. When it comes to being confident with the science, you have to do things a certain way. With the director of the Yale Depression Research Program going even further saying, hey, there are other red flags, noting that it doesn't mention race or ethnicity, gives little information about patients' baselines, and only included those who were able to shell out $500 per session out of pocket because insurance doesn't cover this type of experimental ketamine use. And that last part is very significant because the cost is a major barrier to get a full scope of data from a diverse population. Though also notably here, researchers did say that the type of ketamine infusions that they used is cheaper than the ketamine-derived nasal spray approved by the FDA for treatment-resistant depression, which means that this option could result in some savings if it is eventually covered by insurance. But there, you should also kind of measure your expectation. It will likely be a while before insurers widely cover ketamine treatment. But ultimately, that is where we are with this right now, and I think, you know, there's a little bit of a road ahead. We need more studies, specifically blind studies with a control group, also make it so that people aren't fucking paying. And that's because in addition to you needing to have the accurate data, the better the study, the easier it's gonna be to normalize this. The easier it'll be to push for more government approvals and better healthcare coverage. Uh, oh, Lindsay. The point I'm trying to make is I've been consistent. I think states should decide the issue of marriage and states should decide the issue of abortion. Later. I think we should have a law at the federal level that would say after 15 weeks, no abortion on demand, except in cases of rape and incest to save the life of the mother. It's about states' rights! Just kidding. So that first clip is Senator Lindsey Graham saying abortion should be left to the states. Also, just so you're not confused, that's not like from years ago, right? People can change. That first clip was from last month. And that second clip, just showing that he's full of shit, came from a press briefing this afternoon. I love it! I've always been consistent! 
in my inconsistency. But as far as the details in this briefing, you had Graham arguing that the pill is necessary because by 15 weeks, the fetus's nerve endings are fairly developed and thus it can feel pain. With him noting that many European nations have similar limits and that with Roe overturned, the US should set its own nationwide standard. And very notably here, under that standard, states that have bans that are even more restrictive than 15 weeks would still get to keep those in place. Right? This is Graham trying to set an at least baseline nationally in targeting blue and purple states that still have their own laws protecting access. This is massively significant for a few reasons. Firstly, it's been described as the most prominent effort by Republicans to restrict the procedure since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. And second, while 15 weeks is less severe than some of the bans that we've seen since the Supreme Court scrapped Roe, historically, it is more restrictive than abortion limits for the last 50 years. Now, with all this, here's one of the key things. While most people do get abortions earlier in pregnancy, you have experts saying that 15-week and 20-week abortion bans disproportionately impact patients with fetal anomalies. And that's because they're usually only detected on a 20-week anatomy scan. And so as a result, Graham's proposal would ban abortion access for many who need it most and before the fetus is even viable. Which also, on that note, another reason this bill is very significant is because of the title, where you have Graham referring to abortions after 15 weeks as late-term abortions, a term that is not a medical term and historically has been used for pregnancies 20 weeks or later, which is why you have opponents saying that Graham is using this as an opportunity to move the goalposts, especially because Graham specifically has repeatedly proposed bills in the past that would ban abortion after 20 weeks. But with all of that, this is largely being seen as a kind of political move, because you even have Graham acknowledging right now that Democrats Democrats are likely to block this from even going to the floor, which in fact they've already vowed to do, but he did add, if we take back the House and the Senate, I can assure you we'll have a vote on our bill. Right, so this is a transparent push for the midterm. But also with that, it marks a massive public reversal from the party line established just a few weeks ago when Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, indicated they would not pursue a national abortion ban. And so with that, I will say it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, right? Many Republicans have recently begun trying to distance themselves from the topic of abortion, especially after seeing how much it's been a mobilizer for Democrats. Or for example, last month, voters and deeply red Kansas overwhelmingly rejected an anti-abortion referendum that would have allowed state lawmakers to regulate abortion. And just last week, South Carolina Republicans failed in their attempt to implement a near-total abortion ban in the state. But ultimately, that is where we are with this story right now. It's going to be very interesting to see what sort of reactions and fallout we see from this. And I'll start with you. What are your thoughts? Let me know what you're thinking and why in those comments down below. But ultimately, that is where that story in today's show ends. Thank you for watching and being subscribed to my daily dives in the news. Also, for more of the news that you need to know, I got you covered right here. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow. One second. Ah. It knows when I'm coming. He stops. Please, know that you're gonna die. Know that it's over. <laughs> you just don't know that you're dead yet. <laughs> ah, that fucking cricket.